welcome to The Breakdown with Brad Corp and Becky, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Becky Scher. And I'm Michael Broadcorp. Today we are joined by former Representative Ryan Winkler. Ryan served two stints in the Minnesota House of Representatives, first from 2007 to 2015, and the latter from 2019 to 2023. In October 2021, Winkler announced he would run for Hennepin County Attorney after Mike Freeman announced he would not seek re-election. Winkler sought but did not receive the DFL endorsement for Hennepin County Attorney, which Mary, Mary Moriarty won. He ran in the multi-candidate primary election but did not advance to the general. In the general election, Moriarty defeated Martha Holton Dimmick. Last week, Ryan went on social media to criticize Mary Moriarty for intervening to save, to, quote, save a child molester from prison over the objection of her own professional prosecutor. This Hennepin County attorney is making all of our children less safe. She shouldn't even serve a full term. We invited Ryan to be a guest on the podcast to talk about why he spoke up and to discuss the relationship between Mary Moriarty and the residents of Hennepin County when it comes to public safety. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. We're happy to be joined today by former state representative Ryan Winkler. Ryan Winkler made some comments on social media last week about the Mary Moriarty and the prosecution of some cases in Hennepin County. We thought representative, former Representative Winkler would be a great guest to come on and talk about public safety and crime that's going on in Hennepin County. Ryan, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, yeah, happy to join you. Give us your take on why you decided to speak out last week. Well, I guess, first of all, um, I'd have to say that I'm not the ideal person to be making criticisms of uh, County Attorney uh, Mary Moriarty because I lost a campaign to her. And I think people could easily see my commentary as, you know, sort of the bitter ramblings of a defeated uh, candidate. You know, both parties have those. And, um, you know, I'm not the perfect person to be uh, speaking out, but uh, I think we've seen from her very first press conference as county attorney, uh, an approach to the office of prosecutor that I don't think uh, is about justice or about the um, welfare uh, or the safety of Hennepin County residents. It feels more like a person who has almost a vendetta against the criminal justice system. Uh, rather than trying to seek justice in a particular case, the county attorney seems more focused on changing the criminal justice system, regardless of the injustice uh, that individuals may experience when they come to the county seeking a prosecution or when their family members have been harmed or when they've been harmed. So. Uh, I just think uh, there needs to be a correction in that office. And if there isn't a correction, there needs to be a new county attorney. Let me address what you said in response to everybody. Representative, you have always been someone, Becky and I have known you over the years and observed you. I think this is her, your for, for Becky's first interaction with you. Uh, I've been on the receiving end of some of your sparring. You are an A-plus combatant. And mm -hmm. part of the reason we wanted to reach out to you is understand very full well the dynamic between you and County Attorney Moriarty, but you are well-researched, you um, have principled positions, and you're the exact type of person that we would want to have come on. And, and appreciate you disclosing the history between you and Moriarty, but independent of that, that's why we wanted you to have you to come on. It's just to talk about it, because this is an issue, whether you win or lose an election, people still have a voice. And so I, we appreciate you coming on, but I'm glad you disclosed that, but I want you to know from our perspective, 
your experience in the race, plus your background in the legislature, your work as a lawyer, and your understanding of these issues makes you a subject matter expert, whether you win or lost the race. And so putting that aside, we again just appreciate you coming back on. Um, a lot of how uh, County Attorney Moriarty has conducted herself is follows along the lines of what she campaigned on, how she was going to conduct herself. Do you think that still warrants valid criticism? I, I believe personally, yes. I think anybody, regardless of whether you're following through on campaign promises or not. But what is your take on that? Of of we kind of what we're what we're getting is kind of what we what we saw on the campaign trail. I think people who had followed her career and her record closely would see that this would be the expectation uh, the county attorney Moriarty would uh, bring, that this is the kind of uh, county attorney she would be. Uh, there's no question that she uh, not only, um, you would expect a, a combative, uh, principled public defender would ruffle feathers on the prosecution side, might ruffle feathers in the judiciary, might uh, take unpopular stands on behalf of uh, defendants because they have a right to have uh, a zealous advocate on their side and get a fair shake in a system that is uh, all too often unjust and uh, all too often does punish people who are um, in the wrong place at the wrong time or come from the wrong background or look the, like uh, the wrong person. So there is a lot of injustice. There's a reason why a public defender would have a reputation for, as you said, uh, Michael, being an A-plus combatant. But the reality is that uh, this individual was not good at working with public defenders. When I was campaigning, I had people coming to me uh, saying that uh, they were career public defenders who'd given their uh, whole careers to this work and were pushed aside, were terminated, were bullied. Uh, by Mary Moriarty when she was the chief public defender. And that's why she lost, uh, or that's why she was um, uh, discharged from that position. So it's not just uh, combatants that feel the uh, attack from Mary Moriarty. It's also people who should be allies. Uh, I think we're seeing that right now with uh, this SRO issue, which if you're following it closely, uh, the county attorney went out of her way to issue a legal opinion different from Attorney General Ellison's uh, opinion on the issue and made clear that the Attorney General's opinion was not binding if she chose to prosecute a police officer for violating the state statute. So effectively undermining the uh, county, or, sorry, the Attorney General's interpretation of state law uh, for no particular reason uh, that's obvious to anyone except perhaps um, a bit of payback uh, from the McKeever case, which uh, she very publicly denounced the attorney general for taking on. So it's a lot of in the weeds. But to your point, yes, there is a need for correction in the judicial system, the judiciary, the, the criminal justice system uh, needs a correction. Uh, a person who believes in individual rights and protecting the vulnerable or addressing the racial bias in the system, there's a reason and a purpose behind all of that. I think that is what people were voting for. But there's a whole other side that I think people who have known uh, Mary Moriarty for a long time uh, were more concerned about. Um, while you were campaigning uh, last year on this, um, in, in this race, is this something you or other opponents of Mary, Mary Moriarty um, 
brought up of, of some of the potential issues with her statements and actions that we would see should she be elected and win this office? I think some of those uh, concerns were raised. I think the big challenge in a race like Hennepin County Attorney is, um, you know, it's a quarter of the state's population in one county. It's the most expensive media market. There was a very uh, busy, loud uh, national election going on at the same time. And I think um, it was just, you know, raising public awareness of the race and the candidates was extremely difficult. I, you know, I raised more money and spent more money through a primary campaign than any candidate ever had in uh, state history. And it was a drop in the ocean compared to the size of the electorate. So yes, these issues were raised. Um, I think the resources, the money it would take to really bring home these criticisms simply weren't there in a busy election year. You touched on this subject, and I want to circle back with it. Attorney General Ellison took over a case from Moriarty earlier this year. Should he be doing more of that in relation to the dynamic between her and taking over more of those cases? I'm not sure that it's a good precedent or a good practice. Uh, the county attorney for each county is elected by that county. The attorney general is not the state's prosecutor. Uh, they're not set up to prosecute all cases or to second guess every election or elected officials prosecution. Uh, the McKeever case, I think, was uh, really an outlier. I think it, you could make a very strong case that other plea deals that Moriarty has insisted on rise to the same level as the McKeever case, uh, particularly uh, what the Markey family is experiencing right now. But I am understanding of why the attorney general and the governor don't want to become the prosecutor for Hennepin County as on a daily basis. That just doesn't what they're set up to do and doesn't work long term. Um, and it's a tough situation, frankly. Uh, these are cases, in my opinion, where there is not justice for the victims, justice for the families, where the sentences are not proportionate to the crime and um, the system uh, is not working any better when people who do horrific things receive very light punishments than it is if people who do bad things get very bad punishments or disproportionate punishments. The goal and purpose and legitimacy of the justice system is to have the punishment and the crime be proportionate to each other. So I guess my point is, I don't think that we want to create a state in which the attorney general is the prosecutor for every county. And at some point, you have to say, no, I'm not going to take these cases. The specific case that you spoke up against was once again a situation where there is Mary Moriarty in her role in Hennepin County attorney has chosen to, to intervene, chose to get involved, chose to take a different perspective and a different tactic than her predecessor, Mike Freeman, did. In many of these instances, line prosecutors, people that were on the line working in these offices, had made assurances to victims' families as to how these cases would come into a quorum. What would be the position of the prosecutor coming into these cases? And then those deals are unraveling, in, and there's a miscommunication, lack of communication, and you're seeing situations where victims' families or victims themselves are finding out in not an appropriate timeline as to how these cases and the trajectory of these cases are going. Can you describe why that's so traumatic and problematic for victims' families in this in the criminal justice system? I hope any of us could understand 
how I mean, no, we don't know what it feels to have a brother or a son uh, murdered. We don't hopefully know what it feels like to have a nine-year-old child sexually assaulted. But if you put yourself in this in the position of that family, if you have any empathy whatsoever, you understand why justice is so important. Because you cannot undo the harm. You cannot make your family member uh, live again. You can't make your child well again immediately. Um, and these traumatic uh, crimes affect not just the victim and the family, but they can affect whole communities for years to come. And that's why the justice system is based on some concept of proportionality. But if you're in that situation, you're already traumatized. Most of us already feel a bit powerless in the justice system. It's a big, powerful system, and an individual doesn't have a lot. And so you look for people, uh, victims' rights advocates or uh, prosecutors who are going to take your pain seriously and your, your trauma seriously and make your family member or yourself uh, feel like you matter in this. And to be, um, you know, it's one thing not to get the outcome you want, right? I mean, probably nobody gets the outcome they want because you can't, you can't restore uh, what was lost. But to feel that you're disrespected or that you're dismissed or that you're a pawn in a, a larger uh, game, uh, I think, is what really makes people feel outraged and feel uh, completely powerless. Um, so, I, I, I mean, the Markey family has um, requested the attorney general take over the uh, case uh, in which uh, uh, their uh, husband and, and I'm sorry, their son brother uh, was killed as part of a carjacking. Um, and they described a meeting with the county attorney uh, in which they were, um, in their minds and their experience, treated rudely, uh, their concerns dismissed. And uh, that just, you know, we can disagree, right? We can say, this is a hard case. I know you don't get what you want in this outcome. Um, but I will do everything I can to help your family get through this. You know, there, there's real sincerity in, in working with people who have been victims or who are getting a raw deal in some way. And then there's kind of the dismissive, uh, talking points at a press conference, which is more of what we've been hearing lately. Um, you know, the comments like, oh, it's, I feel so terribly for them, but I'm not going to do anything, or I'm going to create these bad experiences, uh, for these victims when they're having these meetings. So I just think... It, it, it's partly tone, it's partly the outcomes in the cases, and it's partly um, the, the um, attitude that she's the only person who's right. 87 counties in the state. How many other county attorneys, without naming, but I want to put in context, how much of an island is Hennepin County right now in their approach to criminal justice? I, I don't think it would be fair to say that. First of all, there are hundreds of dedicated prosecutors, professionals in that office who are going to work every day and seeking justice, uh, representing the state against uh, defendants who have committed crimes. And those professional prosecutors are doing their work. Um, and while we can talk about a number of cases that have made the news, we don't talk a lot about all the day-to-day -day examples of prosecutors working well with local police departments to make sure that justice is done in uh, particular cases or perpetrators are caught. Uh, and it's also true that there is no evidence that harsh sentences deter crime. Uh, there is some evidence that 
the certainty of punishment, um, you know, that there will be a consequence for crime helps to deter it. But there isn't really evidence that um, harsher sentences will deter crime. So I, I think it's possible. I think that Mary Moriarty as county attorney is a bit of an outlier from other county attorneys. But I think county attorney's office in Hennepin County does a great I mean, their their prosecutors do great work. They work hard every day and they are doing their best to do justice every day. Um, and I've heard from many of them in the last nine months about the difficulty they're having right now, but their determination to keep doing the work. There is a common thread that I've noticed in a lot of the issues that Mary Moriarty has been tripped up on. And it's about this kind of, I'm always right. And it's about the level of communication. It does seem to me to believe, seem to me that a lot of these issues right now focus on how she is performing in her office and how she's communicating these decisions. And there just seems to be a lack of awareness of the victim's families in these circumstances. And it comes down to really centered on her role as county attorney. Do you agree with that? Well, I mean, yes. I, and I think that's what grabs a lot of public attention. Um, I think it's important to remember that the mission is justice for people in the county. Uh, it is public safety um, and that uh, there are all kinds of people doing good work. Uh, not just at the county attorney's office or police departments, but in communities, uh, activists who are out there trying to save their neighborhoods from crime and keep it safe for their kids and so on. So I guess my, yeah, she has become sort of uh, a public example of taking needed reforms uh, and good ideas and taking it too far and not caring about justice in particular cases. Um, but we should not let that distract us from the good work that's happening and the progress being made on crime reduction and making sure that communities are safe. Um, so I, you know, yes, I, I, I think you're right, but we can go too far in focusing on one individual and, uh, um, I guess, uh, um, just kind of creating, uh, you know, a typical political atmosphere where the acts of one, elected official come to be a stand-in for the whole system, when, which isn't, and she's not really representative of that whole system. Well, you teed me up perfectly for my next question. Is this a Democrat versus Republican issue, or does it span both parties? Well, that's part of why I felt, you know, I didn't say, I didn't endorse in the county attorney's race after I left. I didn't think my endorsement was going to make much difference to anybody. Uh, I thought both candidates, you know, had their strengths and weaknesses. I didn't say anything publicly, really, for the first nine months. Um, and I've saw, I've seen Democrats be quiet and kind of talk behind closed doors or quietly about some of the things that Moriarty has been doing. And I've seen Republicans be very loud. And it just isn't right, I don't think, for these victims and families to feel like this is a partisan issue. I think it's important for them to know that there are people who agree with them, who see their pain and loss, who are Democrats, and many, many Democrats do, right? But for it to be a Republican-only criticism, I think, would be a disservice to those individuals, which is part of the reason uh, I felt like I'm going to finally say something publicly about this. 
Along those lines, in in this recent Star Tribune article um, that you linked to in your tweet, um, Moriarty had, had said accountability and public safety don't always translate to prison. Um, can you speak a little bit to, because while we don't want to make it political, obviously there is some inherent politicalness um, surrounding the public safety and criminal justice system and, and the path forward there. Can you speak a little bit to maybe her comment there. And, and as you said, you know, prison doesn't always translate into deterrence. Um, a little bit maybe of the Democrat Party view or maybe messaging that needs to be hap- happen surrounding that and, and how we can still hold people accountable, um, especially for some of these horrific crimes, the murder, rape, uh, sexual assault, whatever it might be, and, and, and make sure we are trying to deter that future crime. Well, look, that's what I tried to do in a campaign, uh, and it didn't work out very well. I didn't think we were very well served in public safety to have uh, one people, one group of people saying, you know, crime is rampant, the, uh, everything is horrible, and the only thing we can do is, you know, arrest people and throw them in jail, versus another group of people saying nobody should be arrested, everybody's a victim, and everybody should be released. And if we love everyone well enough, or if we love everyone enough, then good things will happen, right? Like two extremes saying, in my opinion, ridiculous things. Uh, Yet our political system is really geared more towards two extremes saying ridiculous things, and whoever uh, is the loudest wins is kind of where we are right now. And so uh, I think it's you know, it's kind of a no man's land in between, right? You're going to be fired at uh, from both sides uh, if you try to take a middle ground or a middle path. And it doesn't really, you know, it looks like, you know, people said, oh, I wish you'd had this backbone when you were running. Well, I didn't think getting into a pissing match was really going to serve public safety when I was running. It probably would have helped me win a race, but I didn't think is what we needed in public safety. Um, so, I think most people, I don't know, this is a political question. You guys help me answer it. The vast majority of people are center left or center right. They do not like the far left and they are scared of the far right. So what kind of system do we have where uh, those are the voices that dominate the public discussion and seem to dominate the nomination process for the parties overall? So, you know, for a Democrat to say we need to, um, it shouldn't be controversial or like noteworthy for a Democrat to say that a person who rapes a nine-year-old child deserves more than six months in prison. Like that should not be a noteworthy statement at all. That should be the most the most uncontroversial thing I could have said. And yet it, it generated a lot of attention. How did we get there? How did a statement that shouldn't be so controversial become so controversial? I don't really, I, you know, are you asking big picture or just it's particularly in uh, the kind of criminal justice system? Big picture or whatever whatever way you want to help answer it for us. Well, I mean, I think big picture, the whole political system right now, the incentives are to be extreme and loud. That's how you get attention. We don't have, uh, you know, three TV news stations moderating uh, everybody, the political discussion. We don't have the newspapers moderating the political discussion. We have a fragmented uh, kind of food fight. Uh, kind of political system. And if you can get 20% behind you, that's a pretty powerful base right now. And and that means getting 20% of people who tend to be very, doctor, you know, like extreme doctrinaire or extreme on a position, get them fired up and show that you're really one of them, you're their person. And suddenly you're getting more attention than the person who is speaking on behalf of the vast majority. 
Uh, I think that's true of criminal justice right now. I think the whole public safety debate has boiled down to that. It is, you know, ridiculous to have uh, the democratic position on public safety to be defined in any way by defund the police. Literally, I think the only people who ever said that were a few Minneapolis city council members right after an extremely traumatic <laughs> series of events. And and yet the incentive for Republicans is to tar is to blast and to paint all Democrats as being uh, people who believe in defunding the police. So then if it's like uh, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So if Democrats are going to be attacked for being uh, far left on criminal justice issues, we might as well be far left on criminal justice issues because we're going to be painted that way anyway. There's no incentive really to try to moderate a position. And, I, you know, I'm sure that you can name issues on the Republican side where it feels the same way, where you're being uh, kind of uh, your positions are, um, uh, you know, being a link to the most extreme people, not to what a moderate, you know, more moderate candidate actually believes. Now, I tend to think you have more extremists uh, in higher uh, ranks on the Republican side than we have Democrats who are extremists on the high, in the upper ranks on the Democratic side, but the dynamic is similar. I would say to you that part of the reason we wanted to have you on was because, not to turn this into a, a Democrat on Republican issue, but to talk about it from the standpoint of that, your statement that you made on social media, that's a 95-5 issue. 95% of Minnesotans would agree with you and there was a very vocal minority that chimed in. And I just thought it was appalling what you, what the reaction was to your tweet on social media. And and my objective wasn't to highlight the 5%, was to bring you on to talk about what I think is a very important issue for Minnesotans, which is they want balance in the criminal justice system right now. And I thought that your perspective was incredibly reasonable. And um, there's, you know, no place, of, there's no place in American politics for a reasonable position. <laughs> Well, that is true. I've said, as Ken Brockman said, I'll say it before and I'll say it again, democracy simply doesn't work. <laughs> and sometimes it just doesn't. And it's unfortunate though. And I will say, as Becky and I did, a just did an episode this morning, a bonus episode that we're going to release with someone from the Department of Public Safety. And as I noted on that episode, I pled guilty to a DWI in 2013. I've spent the last 10 years volunteering, talking with victims' families. I've spoken with family members who have lost members of their family to drinking and driving related incidents, people that have been hit by cars, people that have been incarcerated. And one of the biggest components of the judicial system that I think sometimes gets overlooked because of other incidents in the news is being advocates for victims' families. And they are such a critical part of the process. And so your comments about it really resonated with me because I do think it's a component that gets overlooked. I do think when you're going into the criminal justice system, particularly if you're a victim's family who has lost a member of their family and they're not around, it's very difficult to fill that void, to fill that aspect of their life again. And so the only place where there can be that reform is on the perpetrator. And in that instance, I think sometimes victims' families get lost. And so your advocacy, you taking that stand, and again, the position that you did if you were to run statewide and poll that, I think it would be a 95 to 5 issue. And it's remarkable the frustration that you took on social media. And I think we could all say that social media brings out the worst in people and it elevates the most passionate voices sometimes. And those passionate voices aren't right. But I was really surprised and taken aback by what you received 
after coming out with that statement? Well, it wasn't really very many people who uh, were, you know, who were criticizing me for what I was saying. It was it was a few. It wasn't a lot. Uh, I think you see this on both in both political parties. Most elected officials, if given a choice, would rather not criticize a member of their own party. Right. They would rather not be the person to do that. They would rather let someone else uh, help correct the person who needs to be corrected. Right. And so, uh, you know, since I am neither a candidate nor an elected official at the present time, maybe I have a bit more freedom to speak up uh, compared to others because it is, you know, as you know, it's not that easy to uh, keep a, a political coalition together. And if you go around criticizing your team all the time, it's hard to, you know, keep that team together. So I, the so what's noteworthy to me is not the few people who were critical of what I had to say. It It's noteworthy to me that how uh, silent <laughs> uh, most elected officials uh, are on the subject. If you're a resident of Hennepin County right now, um, where do family go? Where do families go if they're a victim of, they find themselves or a member of their family as a victim of crime in Hennepin County? Do they rely on the Hennepin County Attorney's Office? One of the reasons I bring that up and tee this up a bit is I was speaking to someone who is, had been a city prosecutor in a, in a city in Hennepin County um, in previous years. And he thought one of the, the roles was that some of these city attorneys might need to step up, maybe take some of these cases as misdemeanor cases, gross misdemeanor cases, if the county attorney isn't going to take them on as, and prosecute them as fully as they can. Where do people go in Hennepin County right now? Well, first of all, uh, as I said at the beginning, there are uh, hundreds of very dedicated professionals in the county attorney's office who are there to uh, prosecute crime, to be victims, advocates, and to try to help families get through extremely difficult circumstances. So they should still go to the county attorney's office. I think um, the Markey family right now, for example, they don't have a, you know, there's no city attorney for them to go to. There's no, they're asking uh, the state to step in in a particular case. And they're trying to be as public as they can to uh, raise concerns about the uh, plea deal in uh, the um, murder of Steve Markey. So, you know, what do they, I mean, <laughs> most of the time, in most cases, people should go to the county attorney's office and rely on the professionals there. Uh, and when the county attorney steps in to move a case in a position in, away from justice, uh, I think public outcry and uh, you know, plea, you know, maybe appealing to the state officials is there is the best recourse. You know, I don't think finding a misdemeanor case against uh, you know. Uh, Braveheart is really going to satisfy the Markey family, and it shouldn't. Fair point. We, um, in some of these other states with more progressive prosecutors, we have seen um, different attempts to recall or impeach. Um, is there, there, there seems to be an organized effort to recall Moriarty. What's your take on that? I think it's an extremely uh, high bar to clear. It's not just uh, signatures. You have to show wrongdoing. Um, and I think it, that's just a very difficult thing to do. And, you know, San Francisco is the kind of the most recent big case I can think of where it was successful. We have different laws and there are different dynamics in place. And frankly, in that recall, millions of dollars 
uh, were raised and spent in order to, you know, effectively carry out that recall. Um, and that's just a dynamic I don't see us having here right now. So uh, to me, the only real, uh, the likely outcome is just public outcry. And, you know, there's a another campaign in four years, and presumably somebody will challenge the incumbent county attorney at that point in time. Once again, you teed me up perfectly for my next question. Um, you mentioned in your tweet that you don't believe that uh, Moriarty should uh, fulfill her full term. Um, are, you, are you, whether it's completing her term or, or running next time around, or are you throwing your hat back in the ring? No, I'm not. Um, you know, first of all, it's a long time from now, and I don't know that I'll be, uh, you know, it's something I'll want to do. Um, I can see being involved in a campaign to help the right candidate, um, you know, challenge the current county attorney and try to get a better um, person in that office. Or, you know, even better would be if Mary Moriarty were to listen to the criticism and change course and uh, recognize that, you know, the first nine months on the job maybe are, you know, kind of lingering effects from being uh, a fierce public defender and that the job is a, a bit different. So I would, you know, there's always the chance that she will change how, what she's doing, but continuing on the same path is not acceptable. Um, and so I'm not saying no, never, no way would I run again, but I, it's not on my radar at all right now. Uh, former Representative Winkler, it was really good to be on here today. We appreciate you speaking up, and we hope you continue to do so. Um, even if we disagree on issues, please continue to be the A-plus A combatant that you've always been and continue to swing, swing some elbows. Where can people follow you for more information on you? Well, Social, me social media, uh, yeah, at underline or underscore uh, Ryan Winkler is Twitter, uh, I think. I don't remember all my handles. You know, I'm not out there trying to uh, promote myself right now. Um, I will say this. Uh, I noticed that Republicans really like it when Democrats uh, criticize other Democrats. And I noticed that Democrats really love it when Republicans criticize other Republicans. So, um, you know, I'm not surprised that uh, it's popular right now on the right so, so, to uh, have me make these comments and don't get used to it. No, I appreciate that. And it's well taken. Becky and I have tried to always take a, a thoughtful approach with our guests. And we've had some people that we work with have been impacted by crime, people that have been victims of carjacking. And this has always been an issue, particularly from the victim's advocate's perspective. It's always been near and dear to my heart. I've spent a lot of years volunteering on it. And so your statements, aside from the partisanship, um, rang true. And we wanted to certainly give you a voice and validate that we want to see, wanted to just give some give some airtime to you and give you some props for speaking up and, and doing speaking up when we know it's uncomfortable to speak up. And just to echo, you know, I, I, certainly it is, you know, as Republicans, we love Democrat on Democrat violence and vice versa. But I do want to commend you because I know it's not always easy. This is something we've tried with this podcast. We have been very critical of Republicans, just like we have of of Democrats. But as you mentioned before, um, you know, while the the far right, far left are the ones that get the most attention, there are the bigger chunk of, of voters and Minnesotans that sit in that middle. Um, and that's what Michael and I kind of tend to to put ourselves in that bucket of of the middle right. Um, and so I think that there is always a need to have 
when somebody deserves to be criticized to be criticized, whether that's from your own party or not. And so I know it's not easy. I'm sure you got calls, texts, emails, um, and of course, tweet responses from from folks within your own party expressing their frustration. So I do appreciate you're doing that. And while you say not that you're not going to make it a habit, um, we highly encourage if, if you continue to see things um, on either side to to uh, make that known. And, you know, we'd be happy to have you back to to discuss those. All right. Sounds like a deal. Thank you so much. Thank you. We just spoke with former state representative Ryan Winkler. Your take. Um, you know, I want to start with, I, I, like I said it right at the end, um, it is, it is, I, I know how difficult it can be. And I'm sure, you know, even more than I do of, of when you sling some mud within your own party, um, the backlash that can come towards you. Um, but I think it is an important thing to do. And I think that him being a, somebody who, um, ran against her, you know, had invested interest in this, in this seat and in this, um, area of expertise, um, you know, who better to kind of have some of that. I think that this, obviously, I think that while we don't want to make every issue political, every issue is kind of inherently political. And this, a lot of this, from my perspective, largely stems from the Democrats' arrows at um, the public safety system and really trying to, as you know, as we discussed a little bit, um, just rehabilitate, which there is a, certainly a place for. But sometimes prison time is warranted. And, and in this situation that we're looking at here, um, the sexual assault and rape of a nine-year-old girl and probation, it, it's just absurd to me. And the re-victimization of that family, of that child, um, her parents, siblings, uh, loved ones, is just abhorrent. And it just – it really – tears me up inside to to see that you went through something so horrible and the individual responsible who has is is very clearly responsible for this um is not held accountable um it is just unacceptable the reason i wanted to have him on was because he took a lot of arrows took a lot of swings took a lot of punches for his statement on social media and a statement that just isn't that controversial 9595 that his statement was he was critical of Mary Moriarty for intervening to quote save a child molester from prison over the objection of her own professional prosecutor this Hennepin County attorney is making all of our children less safe she shouldn't serve a full term now let's be clear this is as you unfortunately described accurately this was about the rape of a nine-year-old girl and there is something going on in Hennepin County when it comes to victims of crimes and how they feel about the job that the Hennepin County attorney is doing. And members of Mary, o Mary Moriarty's own party have felt the need to intervene and stop some of her work in other cases. And the problem that Keith Ellison is in and the attorney general is in is he did it once and he's going to be asked to do it a lot more. Because I don't think that Mary Moriarty is changing. She is pretty strong in her comments that this is what she campaigned on and this is what she wanted to do. And there is a part of this, and it was one of the questions that we asked, that I do think it's fair to say, should she be criticized for doing what she said she was going to do when she was running? That being said, there's a difference between her fulfilling her campaign promises and how some of these cases the direction of them, them changing, the trajectory of them changing are being communicated to victims and victims' families. And it seems to me, based on my reading of the stories, 
that there is a internal communication in Mary Marty's office between her leadership and some of the prosecutors on the line that are working directly with these cases, that the focus and what was what had been promised in the past is no longer going to be the case. And that's where I think she's running it into an issue, is that the bureaucracy that she's trying to shift has not caught up with, and that's still her responsibility, but is not caught up with how what she campaigned on has not gotten through to the people on the line yet. And what that creates is it creates situations where people feel that deals and information that's been shared with them about cases is changing as they're coming in a court courtroom. Again, I'm not an attorney, not played one on TV, but over the last 10 years, I've spent a lot of time with families who have lost family members, who people themselves have been a part of the criminal justice system. And it's so critically important that communication between prosecutors and victims' families is precise and clear. And when things change, particularly for the worst, that's never a good situation. And it seems that Mary Moradier has created a number of upset constituents in Hennepin County about her work. Oh, I was just going to say, to that point, I mean, I think this is also, I, I think that uh, Representative Winkler had brought this up of some of that, you know, just cold or the tone and demeanor in which the individuals from within the office are dealing with the victim's families, um, not only the lack of information or explanation in this stuff, but just also their their way of delivering it. Uh, and I think, again, when you have something that is uh, these people that are vulnerable and have gone through hell at whatever level, um, then you're sitting with somebody that's not only telling you that they're not going to do this, but they're saying it in a way that basically makes you feel even worse. It, it, it's just a lot needs to happen within that office. And it's really unfortunate um, to I, I I just I, I can not only I, I just can't even empathize or, or feel what these victims and their families are going through. Um, but I do think it's largely a making of this larger picture of what's been going on within politics when it comes to public safety. And um, she just happens to be the lightning bearer for this uh, at the time. We've um, spent a lot of time talking about this from, I think, the appropriate perspective, which is victim side. But let's just take a, just a minute or two here and talk about it from the pure political side and break it down for a second. Mary Moriarty is making a number of people inside the DFL look reasonable on public safety. Mm -hmm. And one person that she's making look very reasonable is Keith Ellison. Your take on that? I mean, it's it's wild, right? I mean, when we're talking about, it, you know, as as Winkler had said, and you know, the the folks that everybody Republicans tie to Democrats to, and Democrats tie Republicans to, um, from my experience working in the Republican Party and and different campaigns, a lot of times we would tie reasonable Democrats to Keith Ellison as the extremist, as the one that if, hey, you know, they had a picture with Keith Ellison, so they guilt by association. Now, as you said, he's the reasonable one here. We saw this with the SRO issue in Mor Mary Moriarty's, um, you know, statement. And and I don't believe that this is going to be the last time we're seeing some of this, you know, butting of heads. And it is just insane to me that this is, is the different, we have, um, you know, reasonable Democrats, we have Keith Ellison, and then we have Mary Moriarty and that spectrum of what that looks like is, is evolving and, and just pretty wild right now. I always want to create opportunities for people to come on and I appreciate and understand the intellectual consistency that Mary Moriarty is offering. And I agree with Ryan Winkler 
and a number of the victims' families that it's not balanced right now. And I hope we can talk about this conversation more. But it was interesting to speak with former state representative Winkler. And I would hope that he continues to speak up. It's probably not comfortable. It's probably not easy. But I do hope he continues to speak up in this as we need more people, not from just a partisan perspective. This isn't just partisan bickering, but people who are interested in making the criminal justice system more balanced, particularly for victims' families. And I think that's what's needed in this state. And I hope the conversation continues. Very much agreed. Let's get into one of my favorite subjects that we cover on this podcast in this new iteration of our podcast, fantasy football. In every aspect of this conversation, in every aspect of fantasy football, I am dominating. I'm crushing it. Let's begin the conversation. How are you feeling this week? You know, I'm feeling quite great. Thanks for asking. Um, I would like to start out the episode by saying that I am currently the week leader in my picks this week. We should just clear up for our listeners. Did you make your picks this week? I made them all. All 16. I am leading with nine correct out of seven uh, of those 16. You have seven. But just want to be clear. Just don't want to be clear. I'm still leading you. Let's let's talk about slow and steady for a second. Sometimes we got to zoom in and then zoom out. So we're zooming in here. Slow and steady. My position has been from the beginning of the season. I don't care who wins as long as it's not you and I defeat you. And I am still have a very, very comfortable lead. One of the questions we had for the person who prepared our script is, should Becky give up? <laughs> and I thought our offline producer who who posed that question, you, um, should Becky give up? So just to follow the script, Becky, should you give up? Absolutely not. As you can see, I have gained two points so far to th- this week, which means I am only down by six. I have moved into third place, which is uh, moving on up. Um, I would also like to just point out that uh, of the five weeks, I am the leader two of those five weeks. You are a leader one of those five weeks. So, I mean, I'm coming. This is just amazing. This again, it's analysis stats that are meaningless. I'm ahead of you. I'm in comfortably in second place. Spencer Creer's in first. You have moved from third to fourth, from third to fourth, from third to fourth. You've been back and forth, depending on when you make your picks. And I've <laughs> just been slow and steady. I feel very comfortable where I am. I want to take a moment and break down my approach to fantasy football, particularly in a league that I'm the reigning champion of in. And that's my uh, family's fantasy football league that I play with my wife, my sisters, and a number of my relatives. I'm currently, once again, just dominating that league. And as the reigning champion, one of the strategies I like to use is I like to keep the the league play fun. And what I've realized since I'm the reigning champion and, and have won consistently over the years is that when I win every week, it can really hurt the morale of the rest of the league. And so what I like to do during the season is I want to keep games close. I might lose one occasionally. That's all a part of the master strategy I have because winning every week and being so dominant just hurts the morale of any everyone else in the league. I want everyone to feel comfortable and fun participating, that they have a sporting chance, even though they don't. And so what I would like to do is what I've done over the last couple of weeks is occasionally lose a few games. That's all part of the master plan that I have. It's all a part of a grand strategy just to make the league more engaging for my wife, my kids, and my sisters and other members of my family that participate. Well, we'll find out if it's worth it. I got to say real quick, um, I do appreciate your dedication. You once again uh, backed the Vikings, and I did not. I, 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 I tapped out. 
Well, I wanted to point out, and you took the words right out of my mouth, and I wanted to disclose that I am the only one. And this is what I find so amazing, or if I think it's worth noting, and we can end the subject on this. I will always pick the Vikings. I was the only one in the league that picked the Vikings this week. Every other person in the league picked the Kansas City Chief. Not to name names, but everyone else did. And I'm going to go down. I'm a loyal Viking fan. I don't feel I have an option on game day, even though there's a competition. If you want to win, Becky, by rooting against the Minnesota Vikings, you go right ahead. If that's the well you feel comfortable. Now, let's just be clear. If you feel comfortable... If you're going to be influenced by members of your family who support <laughs> rival organizations in the league, speaking of your husband and his support of the Green Bay Packers, if you want to be influenced by it, that's fine. I'm going to stay true to the Minnesota Vikings, and I'm going to pick them every week. Um, I just must uh, clear things up that I'm not rooting for the Chiefs. I'm just a realist. And come on. Okay. Were you hoping Taylor Swift was there? Sure. But I come on. She went and saw her boyfriend, like I said before. She saw her boyfriend the last two weeks. She's got to play a little hard to get. Can't make it to every game. I was hoping she was going to be there. I'm on a neighborhood group chat, and one of my neighbors is, and I are very much focused on this Taylor Swift drama, and I'm just really eating it up right now. It's fun to follow. It's great for the NFL, but it was tough. I think there there were a lot of Vikings fans in the stadium that were hoping to see her yesterday, but she did not show up, but the Chiefs were victorious. And so, as you pointed out, eloquently she has to play as you said someone hard to get yeah all right good <laughs> well, Becky, thank you again and i hope i hope your performance improves but not too much watch out next week thank you bye we want to thank you for listening to this episode of the breakdown with broadcom and becky before we go show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on apple Podcasts or on the platform where you listen you can also leave a review on our website at, at bb breakpod the breakdown with broadcom and becky is on all social media platforms and we encourage you to follow us for content and new information about episodes the breakdown with broadcom and becky will return next week with a new episode thank you so much